We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Thank you, Joel, and your team. Always do such a great job in leading us. It's good to see each one of you here. Those who join us online, we're thankful that you are being with us. You're a part of the service here tonight. And any visitors that we have, as Jared has already welcomed you, I would encourage you, if you've not uh, been with us before, Jared, the one that made the announcements, could get you a visitor's card to fill out. We would love to have a record of your being with us and a way we can contact you and just uh, remember to pray for you and ask you to pray for us. So thank you for being with us tonight. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Sound like a verse, doesn't it? I was glad when they said it to me. Let us go into the house of the Lord. Kind of give you an update. We are still in the Gospel of Mark. I taught through the Gospel of John in a men's Bible study one time. And it took so long that a man on the front row said, you've been in John longer than John was in John. And so it feels like we've been in Mark for a while. My intention is to finish the book of Mark. I was asked to teach through that as Tommy was. And then we're going to go in a different direction. I don't know what Tommy's going to teach, but we're going to, uh, we're going to be looking at something uh, most likely different here on Sunday evenings and doing some things a little bit different. So thank you for being here, your faithfulness to come. Uh, and we welcome everyone that is new. And let's turn to the good word of God again. As he read to you, thank you, Joel, in Mark chapter 14. Jesus has had the, the Lord's Supper with his disciples. He told them, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine or eat of this, uh, this, this bread with you until I do it new with you in the kingdom of God. Now, these disciples do not know what he is saying. He's about to go to the cross. They were expecting him to ride in on a white horse and to be uh, like David, King David, and usher in Camelot again in the land of Israel, drive out the Romans and be victorious and here he came riding on a little donkey. And it's not then the, the thought or the picture that they uh, pictured in their heart and in their mind. But Jesus has been preparing them now for several uh, sentences here in uh, chapters even in this book, getting them ready for Calvary. And that's just like God. That's just like Jesus doing for others while they themselves are preparing for the, the greatest suffering that any man would ever accomplish. I want to talk with you about, if you take down notes, there's about six or seven or eight. Now, when a pastor says there's six or seven or eight points, some people go to sleep right then. I understand how that is. Also, they start counting to keep him in order because it's real easy to skip number three and go to four, and then there it turns out to be nine points instead of eight. And so bear with me if I do that, but there's going to be several things that I'd love to share with you. Out of this passage, you'll see them very clearly, but I believe they are very timely for you and for me here tonight. Beginning there in verse 27 that Joel read to us, they have just been at the Lord's Supper. They sung a song together. And they have gone out now to the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. We know that Jesus is quoting scripture there. We don't know whether Peter and the rest of the apostles recognize that from their Old Testament scripture. But he said, You will all fall away because it is written. When, the, when God's word uses those words, whether it's a prophet of the Old Testament, Jesus himself, later on the, the apostles, 
it is written. There is nothing that can alter that. Satan cannot thwart that. Human can, humans cannot change that. When God says it is written, it will take place just like he said. That's why when you're praying and you're, you're searching the scriptures and you're talking with God and you remember those verses that come to your heart, you can know for a fact that whatever he wrote, he's going to do. Now, we don't tell God what to do. He's told us what he would do. So that's where our confidence is. If it is, it is written, how did Jesus uh, face the devil in the wilderness? Three different times. It is written. The devil can quote scripture too. Don't, don't be misguided uh, about that. He can quote scripture too. He likes to do like a lot of people today, pull it out of context, use it for a way that it wasn't intended to be used. But we know that it is written will take place. So when Jesus said, all of you, Peter, James, John, Nathaniel, and he could have gone and listed every one of them, all of you are going to be scattered. But after I have been raised, they do not understand what he's talking about. Is he going to be raised from sleep? Is he going to be raised from reclining at the table of eating? How is he going to be raised? They do not understand yet, just like you and I wouldn't have understood either. But when I'm raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, don't you just love Peter? I think the reason why we love Peter is he reminds us of ourselves often. He opens his mouth and speaks without his brain ever being engaged. It is impulsive. It is reactive. And he's going to let you know what he thinks. Do you have friends that you don't have to wonder what they're thinking? Because in just a few seconds, they're going to tell you. That's the way Peter was. But one of the key things about this, Peter said to him, to Jesus, even though all may fall away, I will not. Now we read that and I want to tell you, ask, the, ask you the question, did Peter intend that to be true? Yes, he did. He intended to keep what he just said right there. But do you see the pride that's in that statement? I don't care what all these other guys are going to do. They may run out on you. They may fail you. They may be scattered. But I'll tell you one thing, Jesus. You can count on me. It won't happen to me. The first thing I want to tell you is that the will of man does not often accomplish the will of God. Sometimes we have, you remember this old statement, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We have good intentions and we have thoughts that, well, it, that'll never happen. I will never do that. I remember as a young man saying, well, I tell you what, Mike Spencer would never do that. And I really believe the Holy Spirit dealt with me over that. And, and I came out after a prayer time with the Lord and realized that if it weren't for God and his protection and his holding on to me, I would do anything anyone else had ever done. The will of man that's a fallen nature until it's regenerated by Jesus will do anything. And we need to get uh, that grasp. Peter needed that. They may all fall away, but I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, Peter. And when Jesus said those words, they knew that it had always come to pass, just as he said, I'm telling you the truth. This very night... Can't you just imagine? No, you don't understand. I mean this. I mean it with all my heart and all my strength. And I don't care what everybody else does. I'm going to be there for you, Lord. He said this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Another uh, uh, 
gospel says, you'll deny even knowing me. Another gospel tells, tells that when that took place, Peter began to curse and to swear. That girl, you're him. You're one of him. You're one of those Galileans. And he began to curse and to swear and say, I'm not. I think it's in the gospel of Luke, which is a tremendous event after Peter denied Jesus, even knowing him for three times and he's about to run away, the scripture says Jesus and Peter looked at one another. Can you imagine what that look was like? Peter intending with all of his strength to not let them take Jesus. And Jesus said, no, Peter, you are going to even deny me. And he has to look at the Savior and realize that he was guilty. One of the key things we need to remember is that our will cannot accomplish the will of God. We can have great intentions. We can want to do it every way that God tells us to do it. But without yielding to the power of God himself, you and I can, with good intentions, be out of the will of God. Can we do things for our children sometimes with good intentions but it not be God's will? Can we do things at our job sometimes with a good heart, good intentions, and it turn out to be not what God planned? Yes, we all can do that. And that's the case. Now, Peter, one of the things that Jesus was going to work on Peter about the rest of his life was his pride. Peter needed to die to himself and grow unto the Lord. John the Apostle, I think, got it a little quicker. John said, I must decrease and he must increase. But, verse 31, but Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. I think about Peter willing to argue with the Son of God. You're going to lose that debate. I don't care if everybody, even if it takes my life, I will do not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing. Don't miss that phrase. We pin that on Peter there but it also says the rest of the disciples also were saying that. We just won't let it happen. We're just not going to let that happen. As they left the upper room, they go to the, the Mount of Olives. And if you'll remember, if you've been there, you've seen those pictures. The Mount of Olives is above the, where the Temple Mount was, above uh, looking down. In between it is the Kidron Valley that goes around. And they went to the... Mount of Olives and very close to it, it's a, it'd be on your right side if you're standing looking at the Temple Mount, is a garden with olive trees. Olive trees are wonderful. They last hundreds and hundreds of years. I wanted to touch one of them so badly, they have them all fenced off when I was there. And uh, I thought, you know, if I jump that fence, I could get there real quickly and and people try to tell me, you don't want to do that in Jerusalem. I promise you, you don't want to jump that fence. But it says in verse 32, they came to a place named Gethsemane. Do we have that picture? Are you able to turn it on tonight? In Gethsemane, Gethsemane means oil press. And this is just a picture of an ancient uh, oil press. They would put uh, the, the, an olive press. They would put olives in there, turn that with that stick, that wheel would grind the olives and it would crush the outer skin, the pulp, and the rest of the seeds of that olive and then it would force the olive oil out. And olive oil is used for many, many different purposes. Olives are abundant in Israel and oil was used for many things as it still is today. But that's what an old olive press would look like. 
So when you think of Gethsemane, that word Gethsemane means oil press. It's, it's something under pressure that forces the oil, the good stuff, out of that and a purpose that you can use that oil for many good things. I think that's very fitting because this night we're going to read about our Savior was pressed beyond anything we could ever comprehend. The weight of what Jesus went through at Calvary is about to go to Calvary to suffer for you and me. The sins of mankind put on Jesus, suffering physically and spiritually, would press Jesus. Uh, in the last 20 years, I've heard these words more than I ever have in my life. Stress, depression, anxiety. Long before we had COVID and they called it a pandemic, we have a mental pandemic in our world and that involves panic attacks, anxiety, and depression. And if you've never had any of those things, please, please be very careful to not look down at someone that has. It is like a foreign entity attacks your body and takes away your mind and your heart and your soul and your strength and your muscles and your vitality and your energy. We're living in a world right now where we know stress. I'd never heard that growing up. Uh, I thought I was under stress when my parents were correcting me sometimes. I was under a different kind of stress, but there is no stress. There is no anxiety. There is no pressure that anyone has ever experienced like what Jesus experienced that night in the garden. Gethsemane was going to press our Lord and Savior because he was about to take your sins and mine. He said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. Now Jesus is going to command his disciples to do seven things. These are the verbs. Sit here, remain, keep watch, pray, get up, let's go. In this passage, those are the commands that Jesus gave his disciples. Sit here, remain, keep watch, pray, get up, let's go. I thought about that progression, and guys, that's really our life too. There's a time and a season where we have to sit down and listen. There's a time in our lives when we need to stay in place. It seems like others are forsaking, and God bless you for you young men and women here tonight. You are the future of our country and future of our churches. You have so much potential Man, thank you for coming and studying God's word and being a part of the solution. There's a time when we have to remain. There's a time we need to keep watch. And if there ever has been in our country, I think right now is certainly a time to do that. There's a time to pray. The Bible says pray without ceasing. I used to ask God, would you give me strength to pray without ceasing? I, I wanted to be able to drive down the highway and just close my eyes and pray. My wife didn't think that was a good idea for some reason. I think somebody's doing that out here on this highway because I see the way they drive. But we can pray without ceasing, have an attitude of prayer and a heart full of prayer. Prayer is like breathing, talking to the Lord. He loves to talk to us and he wants us to talk to him. When something good happens, you can say, Lord, did you see that? And then you think, well, he sees everything. Of course he did, but he still wants you to talk to him. And there's a time to get up. There's a time to get up how many times in our life have we laid down we sat down we, we felt like giving up and Jesus told his disciples get up it's time 
You may be in one of those seasons here tonight. You do what he says, and it'll always be good. And then he said, let's go. There was a literal time that night when all the praying in Gethsemane and the suffering and the stress of Gethsemane was over with, and now he's headed to the cross. There's going to be a time when Jesus Christ comes back for his church, and he's going to say, let's go. You ready for that one? I told you I think I went into the main offices a few weeks ago, and the lady there working in there, volunteer, said, I want to go see Jesus. And I said, I do too. I hope he comes back today. She said, no, I mean in Branson at the Sight and Sound Theater to have Jesus play. And I said, oh, okay. Yeah, we're headed there too. I want to see him there, but don't you want to see him? And she said, yes. That's why your Bible ends with the Apostle John saying, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. He is going to say one day, let's go. Isn't that going to be a great day? Verse 33. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them. Uh, Luke says he went about a stone's throw away. That's how far far Jesus is. Eight of the apostles uh, are outside. Peter, James, and John are closer to him. And he went about as far as you could throw a rock away from them one of the things that we need to be very careful to acknowledge is that when we are distressed and we are troubled and we're in anxiety and we and life hits us hard we need to gather our closest friends around us too don't ever apologize for that you tough men and some of you guys are the tough guys some of you women are tough ladies Don't be too tough to ask for your brothers and sisters for some help because that's what Moses did in the Old Testament. That's what Jesus did here. Come go with me, Peter, James, and John. They got to see a little closer about the grief and the suffering and the anguish that Jesus was going to go through that night. That brings me to number two that I'd love for you to write down or remember. Uh, We will never know this side of heaven the extent of Jesus' suffering. I visit people in hospitals. I've been with hundreds of people when they took their last breath. I've seen suffering, pain, agony, hurt. But I've also seen some wonderful things in the midst of that pain. I've seen people with supernatural peace, a smile on their face, and something that just overrides that pain and suffering because Jesus is there with them. And I've been privileged to watch that. Perhaps you have too. We'll never know this side of heaven, the stress, the pain, the extent of Jesus' suffering. Because he was not just suffering as anyone else that would have been crucified on a Roman cross. One of the most hideous ways of capital punishment the world's ever known. Someone said the other day, and I agree with them, humans have the capability to do great and wonderful things. And I've seen that lately. But we also have the capacity to do terrible, hideous things ungodly things to one another I'm supposed to go to a place in a few months and uh, it's not a pleasure trip it's called Auschwitz I don't know how I'm going to do I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it I'm supposed to go visit that place where that horrific evil man and his regime wanted to kill steal and destroy 
They said one day they found written on the inside of one of those cells, those places in Auschwitz, these words. Let me see if I can remember it. I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I believe in love even when I don't feel it. And I believe in God even when he is silent. I thought that was really, really good. Regardless of what they were going through, they still knew God was still on the throne. He was still God. He put that sun up there in the sky and he, he said that it will not stop. There's not going to be global warming or global cooling until God stops and destroys this earth. He's already promised that. We need to take care of our land and our country and our world. Certainly we do that. But everybody that's telling you it's going to burn up this way, it's going to do whatever, they're wrong. It's going to burn one day, but God's going to start the fire. There will be summer and winter, seed time and harvest as long as God said this earth stands. He'll be the one to change at the end. So you pray for me about next March if you remember that. It says Jesus went a little beyond them and fell to the ground. Now, I truly believe Jesus was the toughest man that ever lived. I don't mean that he had the greatest brute strength. Others probably could lift more than he did. He was a man that had worked hard. He grew up in his father's carpenter shop. He knew what it was to have calluses on his hands. But it says he fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible... That's a phrase that shows up a few times in the scripture. Lord, if it's possible, and that's like talking to God and saying, you know, if you could do something about this, God, but what's the truth about that? He can do anything. There's nothing he can't alter, change, fix, undo. He can do anything. But Jesus says to his father, if it be possible, not that if you're able to do that, but if it's possible in your plan, in your will, in your economy, and what you want to accomplish in and through me. If it's possible to the Father, the hour might pass him by. Now, some commentators say that he's just asking for it to be over quick. I don't believe that's the case at all. Uh, we see a little bit later that he's asking, God, would you, would you remove this from me? Dear God, Father in heaven, is there any way that we can save these humans down here on that planet called earth any other way with me having not to not die on the cross? And I want to tell you something. If it were you and me, we would ask the same thing, wouldn't we? We would say, God, isn't there another way? How many of you have had a sick child? Right now in Denton Bible Church, we are praying for several very ill little babies. Did you know that? And we're getting some good reports Everyone, Ashley's shaking her head. She's got some of those texts. Every little thing that we take for granted every day when that child is able to do that, we rejoice that God's heard those prayers. But some of those children, it's touch and go. And you and I live in a world that we're going to face those things all the time. We don't know what tomorrow may bring. And do you not pray, Lord, take us away from this? Would you not remove this? Would you take it away from my child? Would you give it to me? Would you remove this trouble that we're in? Would you let this cup pass from us? Jesus is no different. He's all God, but he's all man too. And if he wouldn't have been like that, he wouldn't have been like you and me. When he says, Lord, Father, would you let this pass from me? He's not just saying, let us get it, let us get it done, get it over with real quick. Lord, would you take it away from me? You remember how many times in the Gospels Jesus said, my time is not yet. 
The hour has not come. John chapter 12, the hour has not come. Lord, are you going to go to Jerusalem? They sought to kill you. My hour has not come. Guess what? Every time he said that in the gospels, my hour has not come was pointing toward this moment. Because now he says, time's up. It's time. My hour's come. Men and women, this is the paramount beginning of the climax of all your Bible. Clear back in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned in their relationship with God and they broke fellowship there, God immediately in, in the third chapter of Genesis said there's going to be a seed of this woman and he's going to crush Satan's head one day. Satan's going to bruise his heel. That's the moment that we're talking about right now. This is the beginning of the Son of God coming to this earth, living a, living a perfect, sinless life. The only clean blood, think of it like this. Everyone in this room has a blood disease. You have a germ inside of your blood that will kill you in a, in a certain amount of time. But we hear that there's actually one person in this room that has an antibody inside of their blood that could save all the rest of us here. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Oh, there's only one more caveat to that. They have to die so that all the rest of us can live. Well, all of mankind had a sin disease. We had a blood disease called sin. We're broken and we're away from a holy, perfect God. And there only can be perfect medicine perfect blood shed for God who is righteous he doesn't just change his mind and say okay I'm going to give away some of my holiness and I won't keep my word the wages of sin is death the wages of sin is just as, is halfway dying he didn't change that because he's holy he's right and true but he says I tell you what I love you so much that I will send my own son and he'll die in your place I've got a son I've got a daughter. I love all you guys, and I love you more than I think you know that I love you. But if it came down to it, could I give my son or my daughter for you? That's pretty tough, isn't it? It's pretty tough. And that's what God is saying here. He fell to the ground and pray, began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him. Another place it says Jesus' sweat was like drops of great drops of blood falling off of him he is in agony mentally emotionally physically and spiritually verse 36 is an amazing thing and he was saying Abba Father Abba it's not the rock group Abba Abba Father used three times in the New Testament it's in Mark 14 Romans 8 Galatians 4 it's a child's reference to his dad. It's a personal name. When our children were little, I couldn't wait for them to say Dada. You remember that? Uh, my, uh, my older brother has a daughter, and he tells me all the time, he said, I could not wait for her to be able to walk and talk. And ever since I've been, then I've been telling her, please sit down and be quiet. But I couldn't wait for my son to say, Dad, Dad. I think he said everything before he said, Dad, Dad. But when he did, I can't tell you what that meant to me. And as I got a little older, the first time my son said, Dad, 
boy it got a hold of my heart you know he's probably about three what kind of car you want I'll just go ahead and buy it for you right now <laughs> whatever you need just let me know because it touched my heart to call me dad that's what Jesus is doing three times only in the scripture he says Abba and it's like looking God the father like a little child would that little boy one time when I was camping did this to me and he put his hands. He wanted me to hear what he said. And next time he said, we want you to go with us. And I thought it was so special, this little child doing that. Because he didn't want me to miss what he was saying. Well, that's what Jesus is doing. He's looking right at the Father. Papa. I'm waiting on that because right now we've got a year and a half old grandson I've told you about before. And he is saying everything under the sun right now except Papa man he can say school bus and he can say all kinds of things and I'm trying to tell him Papa 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 and it's just not coming but one of these days one of these days he's going to say Papa and what's that going to mean in my heart he's going to call Holly Nana and my goodness the love that will flood our hearts that's what Jesus is doing to, to God the Father Daddy Papa Abba. Jesus called upon his father, his Abba, his dad, his papa to give him an answer. Something special happened at that moment. Abba, Father. You don't think God the Father was listening to the Son, Jesus? Oh, yes, he was. When my boy was only about three, he's still in those little pajamas that have feet in them. You grown men... You remember how comfortable they were? Do they have those for, for adults? I think that, that especially wintertime's coming on, I think I'm going to look and see. My wife would die if she knew I said that. But do you remember how comfortable they were? There's only one thing about those pajamas, though. They had feet in them, but the bottoms of those feet were slick, weren't they? You could run and just slide. Well, my son, three years old, ran across the kitchen, a slick floor, and when he did, he busted his head right there on one of the tables in the kitchen. And I'll never forget that moment. It's like it's happening right now. He turned to me, his eyes locked on me, and with a loud voice said, Dad! Now, he didn't say, uh, Dad, I want you to know that I have slipped in these footy pajamas. I have crushed my head. There is pain in my uh, frontal lobe. And what are you going to do about it? He could not have articulated at all what was happening. But he knew one thing. He knew I was his dad. He knew a second thing. I loved him. He knew I'd help him every way I could. I remember that moment like it's happening right now. All he had to say was, Dad! He was, trying, he was saying with that, Did you just see what happened? Can you see my, that lump on my head? Can you believe that happened to me? I want to tell you, it hurts. That was all summed up in that one name. Dad! Because we love each other. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, Dad, is there any other way? You want to add to that? You and I would not have known what the cross was going to feel like ahead of time. But Jesus did. He, knowing all things, knew what it was going to feel like to suffer on the cross of Calvary. Jesus says, 
He was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remember in the beginning he said, if it were possible, but he says, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. There wasn't anything wrong with Jesus asking that. That is identifying with us as a human. Jesus was all human and he said, God, take it away. There's nothing wrong with us praying for that in our lives either. Both the key comes up in just a minute. Number three, I want you to think about Jesus had to drink the cup of the wrath of God so we wouldn't have to. When you read that, the cup, would you let this cup pass from me? Jesus is talking about suffering, pain, death, and the wrath of God poured out on him. Thank you for sending that to me this week. Sin, suffering, uh, suffering, death, uh, the pain that he was going to go through, and the, the, the wrath of God being poured out on him. The human Jesus didn't want to die. He asked his father to take it away. Now, are you willing to give anything you can to your children, to your grandchildren, uh, that you could? Christmas is coming up. Are you going to... Are you going to give them something because you just can't wait? You know, you just can't wait. I've got some things to give our little Luca that he has no idea. They're going to be the best presents at all Christmas until somebody else gives me something better. But how much more the father would give good things to his son, Jesus? In his will and in his plan and purpose, he would have given Jesus everything. You remember those angels that he talked about in heaven? They're, they're waiting. I can just see the angels of heaven. He told Peter, don't you know I could call for 12 legions of angels right now and they would come and deliver me from this? Those angels, mighty angels, are just waiting for the Father to say, go get him. And he never does. Jesus had to drink the cup of the wrath of God so we wouldn't have to. The title of this message that I asked the guys to put on uh, when it's recorded is When God Told His Son No. When God Told His Son No. Father, will you take this away from me? Would you let me not have to go through this to go to the cross? And in God's silence, he's telling Jesus no. That's an amazing thing. When I was in Israel, they asked me, where would you like to speak? And I said, one of the places is the Garden of Gethsemane, the very place that we're reading that Jesus is right now. And just like you and I, we would have thought, oh, Father, can't you do it another way? Is there another way? And the good, good Father in heaven told his good, good son, no. That's the next point I want to, share with you. Good parents tell their children no sometimes. I know we don't like that when we're kids, do we? Because we want to hear yes, 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 no matter what we ask. But good parents tell their children no sometimes. And I've watched children that were upset because they got a no answer. And they grow up a little bit and they come back and put their arms around mom and dad and say, thank you. Thank you that you told me no when I needed to hear no. I remember the moment that I realized for the very first time that the wrath of God should have been poured out on me. 
That's the anger of God. One of the misconceptions a lot of people have when they come to Christ, they come and join a church, they have the impression that God's like one of their angry parents. We often transpose our thought of God the Heavenly Father and make Him like our dad or our mom. And many of our parents had anger issues. Let's just tell it the truth. That is not God. The scripture says he is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He is not quick to pour out his wrath. If he was, none of us would be alive. How many times did the psalmist say, God, won't you hear my prayer? Rain down upon these people for their sins. Habakkuk, oh God, don't you see what's happening here in Israel? God, come down. The disciples of Jesus even said when someone was not being obedient or faithful to Jesus, they said, do you want us to call fire to come down from heaven? They were being Old Testament theologically correct because Elijah had done that before. And remember what Jesus said, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy lives. He came to save lives. So if you think of God the Father as an angry old parent up there in heaven watching what you do when you fall short and he just can't wait to pour his wrath out on you, I want to respectfully tell you you're wrong. That's not God. But I'll never forget the moment that I realized God's wrath that is poured out against sin should have been poured on me. But at Calvary, God said, no, I love you so much that I'll pour out that wrath on my own son. And what Jesus spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, literally was doing that day was drinking a cup of God's wrath. 1 Corinthians tells us, He, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He didn't put a little sin on Jesus. Isaiah 53 tells us, all we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord's laid on him the iniquity of us all. Have you ever met someone and they look older than their years and you think, man, they must have had a rough life? I have before. How much sin could affect one person's life? Well, imagine all the sins of all the people that ever lived or will ever live poured on Jesus. Sometimes we in the church think, well, things aren't as convenient for me or it's too cold in here. It's kind of cold in here tonight, isn't it? I don't know if we can do anything about that, guys. You can turn that down if you can, turn it up. wonder how cold it was for Jesus that night wonder what he felt physically in that pain and suffering. It says, verse 37, he came back to his buddies, Peter, James, and Don, those that we tell the things we're going through. If you were going through something in your life, who would you get on the phone and say, let me tell you what I'm going through. I want you to pray for me. That's who Jesus brought with him, Peter, James, and John. He came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. I just want to mention this real quickly. Number five, one of the most effective weapons against temptation is sin is a preemptive prayer. Don't wait till you are in the grip of temptation, whatever your area of weakness and temptation is, to start praying. It's almost too late then. You need to pray today, right now. 
and it goes like this dear lord i'm not being tempted right now but i will be it may be before i get out of the building tonight it may be on the drive home it may be when i get home or in the morning father i'm going to pray to you right now that you would give me strength that when that temptation comes i would yield to you and not fall to that temptation that is a preemptive strike before the temptation comes. And look what Jesus is saying. Keep watching and praying that you don't enter and come into temptation. You don't go into that in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. He's telling us to pray ahead of time. Oftentimes in my life, I waited till the temptation had a hold of me. Pray like that also, but pray now. One of the greatest things God's used in my life to help me as an adult is a preemptive prayer. Praying tonight for what's going to happen tomorrow. You try it and come tell me and see what happens. And he said to him, keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And can we not all just kind of plug our name in right there? I'll never let them take you. I'll die with you. The spirit's willing, Peter, but the flesh can't accomplish what you're thinking. Again, he went away, verse 39, and prayed, saying the same words. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. They did not know what to answer him. He came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. And here's that, that, that fulcrum. Here's that tip that we've been waiting for in all the Bible. The hour's come. It's here. God's about to do what he planned before the foundation of the world to save sinful man. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Jesus knew everything that was going to happen before it did. I saw a sign one day, I think it was on a church, that said, Who killed Jesus? There's been a lot of people throughout the ages say, well, the Jews did it. Those old Jews killed Jesus. Uh, people will say, the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the, the religious Jewish leaders, they're the ones that killed Jesus. There'll be people that say, no, I really believe it was the Romans. It was the Romans that came and crucified Jesus on a Roman crucifix, and they're the ones responsible for killing Jesus. Then I've heard preachers preach, you and I really were the ones that killed Jesus because it was because of our sin that we were on the cross and God poured our sin upon him. He was suffering in a, a place for you and me. But you want to get very theologically correct? The Bible says God killed Jesus. Not only did the Father give his son Jesus up to be, to, to be killed for you and me, but the Bible says that the father would crush his own son. Because it couldn't have taken place except God allowed it. And God himself, in the book of Acts, delivered him up by the determinate and pre-counsel of God. And you, by wicked men's hands, have killed him. It was God's plan, and he used wicked men to carry it out. I don't know about you, but this brain can't hold all that. God would have his own son killed so that all of us in this room here tonight could be saved. I talked with an atheist one day and he said, ah, that's the part I just can't, I just can't understand. I said, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it's 
hard for me to realize that someone would give up all of that. Verse 43, immediately, if you're counting, that's the 39th time that Mark's used that in his gospel. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs and were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he was betraying him, had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he's the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. That was a very common way that Jewish people would greet people. They would greet and by kissing them on the cheek. Uh, I had a person with my wife standing there come and kiss me on the cheek this morning. And I, I, I just thought, you know, the Bible teaches us uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, when I was a teenager, I was wanting one of those pretty girls to come and greet me with a holy kiss, and I never could get that done. But that was a very common thing uh, for an Israelite to greet one another that way. And if it had been anyone else at any other time, it would have been a good thing. But this one that's going to kiss Jesus is Judas. Whomever he had said, uh, now he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he's the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Jesus immediately, that's number 40, went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. Do you have anybody in your life that is hard to love? Every time I ask that question, question there's a person's uh, face that just comes right to my mind. I can love almost everyone. In fact, I'm commanded to love everyone and I pray about that constantly. But there is a person that is so difficult for me to love. In one of the other gospels, do you know what Jesus said to Judas when he came up and kissed him? He said, friend, you know what? Jesus knew that he was a devil. Judas was. He knew that he was a son of perdition. He knew that he was going to betray him. He knew that he was filled with Satan. And Jesus said, friend. He's not being facetious there. You know how he could do that? Jesus had been a friend for a thousand days to Judas. Judas hadn't been a friend to him. And that person that is so difficult for me to love, although I'm commanded by God to love everyone, if Jesus could say to Judas, friend, I can pray for that one and ask God to give me strength to love them. Jesus said to them, have you come out with sore? Oh, I, I skipped some. Uh, and he kissed him. Number six that I want you to remember, the sin of betrayal hurts differently than any other thing. The sin of betrayal hurts differently. When you are hurt by someone that's supposed to love you, that's a different kind of hurt. If you're hurt somebody by someone that's just cruel and mean and ugly and they're an enemy and nobody likes them, uh, we can rationalize that. We can understand that it could happen. But if you're hurt by somebody that you love and you're, they're supposed to love you, that's a hurt like nothing else. That's why the word betrayal, it is not the enemy that did it. It's one that should love you, that's close to you. The Bible says Jesus was suffered at the hands of a friend. A man's foes will be the of his own household. That's betrayal. 
They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword. That one was Peter. When Peter said, I'm not going to let him take you. I'll give my life. He meant it with all the strength he had. But it was not God's will for Jesus to be delivered. He took that sword and he cut. The Bible says he cut a man's ear off. The man's name was Malchus, we find out in John chapter 18. I don't think that Peter was just aiming for an ear. That's what happened. But I think he was aiming for more than that. And we read later that Jesus took that ear and he healed it back and he said, put up your sword, Peter. He had, <coughs> excuse me, he had told the people, I want you to know something. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. And if his servants fought, they'd win. There's gonna be a day when Jesus comes back. There's gonna be a day toward the end of time when we are gonna watch Christ reign victoriously on this earth. He's going to rule with a rod of iron and you and I are going to reign with him and rule with him. There'll be no enemy that can defeat him at all in that day. They laid hands on him and seized him. One of them stood by, drew his sword, struck the slave of the high priest, cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against me with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching. You did not seize me, but this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And they all left him and fled. It's interesting, verse 51. A young man was following him wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. They seized him, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and, and escaped naked. Most commentators believe that's John Mark, the writer of this gospel. They believe that Jesus had had the Lord's Supper in his home, in his parents' home, the upper room. And John Mark was later in the ministry with Paul and Barnabas, as you remember, the writer of this gospel. And some believe after the Lord's Supper, he had gone back to go to sleep. He got word that they're arresting Jesus, and he came to rescue Jesus if he could. But know something for a fact. The angels of heaven were ready to rescue Jesus, but he didn't call for them. Peter was willing to rescue Jesus if he could have, but he, God wouldn't let him. And even if this man could have, God wouldn't let him because he had to die for you and me. They all fled. Number seven, Jesus suffered alone. I'm convinced that you and I as believers will at some time in our life have to stand alone. We will have to stand for what God, God's truth is and it will be at a time when others won't understand. God will give you the strength to do that. Jesus suffered alone. But number eight, the last one that I want to mention to you, we are never alone when we suffer for Christ's sake because he gave us a promise, I will never leave you or desert you or forsake you. I'm not going to run out on you. I've had some friends run out on me before. Have you? You thought they'd hang with you. I've had some other friends hang with me. And I love them. But no matter what we're asked to go through as Christians, we're never alone in our suffering for Christ. Because he said, I promise you, I will never leave you or forsake you. My life, my testimony is a living example that in the toughest times near death, Christ was right there present with me. And I love him for it. Would you have run away that night? Would you have defended Jesus? 
Would you have stuck up for, uh, taken up for him? Would you have tried to star, stop what they were doing to him? Would you be willing to die for him? In a few moments, Jesus is going to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's the moment God pours your sin. Every time you've lusted, every time you've lied, every time you've cheated, every time you've stolen, every time, every time you've had impure thoughts, every time you've mistreated someone, those sins were poured out on Jesus. And for a moment, God had to turn away from his son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know why God told his son no? So he could tell you and me yes. You may be here tonight and you're not sure you're saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because God told his son no, he can tell you yes tonight. I was just about some of you guys' age. I came to know Christ at eight years old. Some of you young men right here in women's age when I got serious about God. My life's never been the same. God told his son, no, I won't take this away from you. So he could tell you and me, yes, I'll forgive you. I'll change your life. You may say to me, Mike, you don't know what I've done. I don't, but God does. And there's nothing you can do that's too great for God to say you're forgiven. Wow, we've got a good God. I want to close with just something that happened the other night and to share with you. Asking you to remember the night that God told his son no. My wife and I were eating in a restaurant and a man's voice, you know how some people's voice kind of carries across the restaurant so they couldn't tell a secret if they tried. Everybody can hear it. This man was talking with his wife and they were laughing and joking about things and he got some texts and he said, ah, I just got a text and so-and-so said, Jesus is the reason for the season. When I hear Jesus' name, I'm always thrilled and excited. I, I started listening a little bit. Man, that's cool. And then he said, look at the next text. Santa is the reason for the season. And they laughed a little bit. And, and then it said, here came the next test, because Jesus is fictional. And I want to tell you, my heart, uh, I think my wife looked at me and said, don't get up, don't say anything, because <laughs> it welled up inside of me. I wanted to defend my Lord Jesus. I wanted to go and find out whoever was texting that man. It's none of my business, but I sure wanted to tell him what I thought. And before I could do anything, his, the wife, after they, he read that text, Jesus is fictional. She said, that's just wrong. And I said, yeah, way to go. That's good. But I began to pray inside my own heart while we're eating, and I almost didn't want to finish the meal because it just made me ill that someone would say, Jesus is fictional. And then I remembered what Jesus on the cross in just a little while said to the very ones that crucified him. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And I prayed for those people, whoever they were, that uh, texted that man that night. That God would get a hold of them and save them and they, that voice that was saying Jesus is fictional would have a testimony someday. I want to tell you something. I sent a text one time saying I didn't believe in Jesus. He was a fairy tale. But I want to tell you now he's real and he's changed my life. If Jesus could pray for him, I can too.
We're about to enter into the holiday season. Thanksgiving is a day to thank God, by the way, regardless of what all the commercials say. It's a, it's a time to thank your employer. It's a time to thank your family. Thanksgiving in our country was designed to thank God for giving them food to eat so they wouldn't die. Thank God this Thanksgiving. Be with your family and your loved ones and your friends. Thank God for each one of them. Christmas time rolls around. The word says that there's to be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. You can have a part in that. Every way that you can, would you spread peace on this earth and do goodwill, do good things to one another? Christmas is a good time. People almost become sane at Christmas time. And my prayer is that you have a great, great holiday season. And when you hit your knees or you hit the pillow tonight and you start praying, Father, call him Abba. Because if you know him, you're one of his children too. Look into his eyes spiritually and say, Abba, thank you that you told your son no and that you told me yes. Let's pray. Father, as Joel comes and the rest of the team comes to lead us in our final hymn, would you just deal with my heart? Because really, I don't need to pray for anybody else here tonight uh, until I've yielded and let you deal with me. If I've been like Peter, Lord, and boasted in my own confidence, I would never do that. Forgive me. Change me. Cause me to trust in you to hold me to do your will. I trust not in my own strength, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Lord, if there's someone here tonight that doesn't know you, oh, what a good night to be saved. What a good night before any other thing happens in their lives that they can know for sure their sins are forgiven. They have hope for the future. They have the capacity to love that they never even dreamed of. Please, God, Holy Spirit, draw someone to yourself tonight so that they can be confronted with the fact that Heavenly Father, Abba, you told your son Jesus, no, so you could tell this person here tonight, yes. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.